You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia, and Psychedelia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon. Um, I challenge you <laughs> to find another radio station, another radio program that manages to intersect Palestinian issues and animal rights like Freedom of Species just did on 3CR. The, there is no other place. These are the these, 3CR is the place where if you want to have things intersected in ways that you uh, didn't even necessarily think had intersections, this is where you're going to hear it. 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR digital, 3CR.org.au. This is in Uh And on the uh, show this afternoon, you're going to hear about drug policy. We're going to be talking about... About uh, drugs, we're going to be talking with Matt Knoffs, the current CEO of the uh, Ted Knoffs Foundation, um, about, uh, uh, well, it's a pretty broad-ranging discussion, actually, um, about drug policy, but also about some uh, the the sort of history of of drugs in the recent... recent period over the past hundred years or so. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm fading fast. Ash, how are you going? <laughs> I'm good. I, hang on, let me just... Uh, yeah, there yeah, we go. Sorry. Prepared. All the machines are, you know, kind of doing their wangly things and sitting not quite right, so, you know, that's, that's sometimes right. how a Sunday goes. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, let's... Uh, Let's go. To, let's do some news. Let's oh, talk yeah. about news. Yeah, sorry, we don't have much time because this uh, interview with Matt Knopfs is pretty much the entire show. So we're going to get into that pretty quick. So let's go through some news real quick. Um, well, I think as far as New South Wales goes, the results are still being tallied. We don't know the makeup oh, of the upper house yet. Um, there's been a bit of backwards and forwards in where the counts are looking, but it looks like One Nation definitely has a seat. Um, the Liberal Democrats, David Leinhelm, may have a seat. Um, he's announced on Facebook that he won the seat, but the counting isn't concluded yet. And as things went with the Victorian election, I'm reluctant to <laughs> sort of delve well, yeah. into anything well, until the count bit. is fully finalised. So we'll yeah. sort of wait and see how things land in, um, in New South Wales before we figure out exactly where things are at. Um, there was an article this week that, you know, geez, it really bothered me. Um, you know, the one that I'm going to oh, talk yes. about here. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, paywalled. Uh, pay, paywalled as well. It is, yeah, it is course. paywalled. But um, I think that, <laughs> look, I'll just give a little bit of a brief chat about it and yeah. then we'll come back to it because I intend to write a blog about yeah, this because yeah, it yeah. got me fired up in a way that, you know, no no other sort of article has in a while. It was reported in the, the Herald Sun and it was, um, now I've forgotten his name. I don't have the, the article in front of me just at the moment, but um, it was Victoria's top squad. drug squad. Yeah. Cop, Dr- uh, drug policy top, wonk. Top, yeah, top drug cop, sorry, yeah. not drug squad cop. And um, he wrote this piece likening uh, drug dealers to terrorists, um, among other nonsense in, yeah. in the Two weeks article. after, you know, a pretty serious actual terrorism incident um, in our regional area. Yeah, well, that's 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 only one of the things that bothers me. <laughs> you know, one, one of the other, like I, 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 you know, I intend to go through paragraph by paragraph on this one and just break it down because I, I rarely have I seen an article filled with such nonsense and hyperbole. And um, I don't understand why Victoria Police let him publish. Like, why? Why? Well, they, why is he allowed to talk? Somebody needs to put him on a leash. <laughs> put him in it, the backyard. It was a little strange. Yeah. I mean, one of the other, one of the other. I mean, 
Anybody who knows anything about issues like um, how crime statistics appear in the state, especially things like domestic violence, understands that alcohol has the greatest relationship with those things. It has the greatest relationship with assaults, with domestic violence, with other kinds of crime compared to all illicit drugs put together. Um, and then in the article, you know, he seemed to like, it was really weird. It came off like he was shilling for the alcohol industry in one part of it because he was like, well, we need to do something about the, the, price of alcohol and things at festivals to make sure that drugs aren't cheaper and I'm like well what do you want to do like lower the price of alcohol and make it more available at festivals because I'll Mm. tell you I've worked in festival safety and and you know events where alcohol is more abundant um tend to have more problems Mm. um (laughs) you know it 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 was Mm. very strange but we'll we'll come back to that one because like I I plan to have a little bit of fun with it we we are going to get stuck into this interview with uh with Matt Knopf's pretty much right now um uh events anything coming up this week oh I, I will say uh congratulations students for sensible drug policy in the be heard not harmed campaign that's hashtag be heard not harmed uh campaign to get pill testing uh as a, a viable harm reduction strategy that we should be using uh they had a party last night at the gasometer in uh in collingwood um it was it was good um unfortunately it's left me without sleep to over the <laughs> last night so thank thanks ssdp gosh um, but, um, yeah, good party. Well done. Uh, I hope funds were raised, um, and I hope, you know, pictures were taken for the campaign, uh, whatever, you, whatever you need to do with these things. Uh, any, uh, events coming up in the next week or so? Uh, to be honest, um, I've been away for the weekend, so <laughs> I haven't even had a look at it. I, I'm trying to think, like, where are we? Oh, you know what there is, as far as events go, what, what is today? March 31st? It's April Fool's Day tomorrow for so long. I've been wanting to... I'm not going to be able to do it because uh, I've got less than 24 hours now. I'm always terrible with April Fool's. I feel like every day is April Fool's on the internet anyway. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really matter. But been wanting to like put one out there that's just like, I don't know, get get the mainstream press. Um, like that cake thing. In uh, Okay. Uh, <laughs> a UK uh, comedian, uh, UK comedy uh, show. I can't remember the name of the show either it's lost me um but they did this kind of mock thing they made up a drug called cake and they got a bunch of uh, uh a bunch of celebrities including rolf harris uh to <laughs> to talk about the the evils of cake and just demonstrate how easy it is to get people of stature to talk about something that they don't really know about but are super passionate about um just saying ridiculous things um that would be fun for April Fools, wouldn't it? I'm just, I, I I'm sharing, I'm sharing these things with you because I'm not going to do it. So it's, vi- it's a bit vicarious. Um, uh, this is Inside Earlier on Three CR. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. If you're interested in the sorts of things that we talk about on the program and you would like to know more, one of the organisations that you can uh, learn more from is Harm Reduction Australia. That's harmreductionaustralia.org.au and uh, it's made up of people uh, from across Australia, from a number of different organisations, people that are working hard uh, to implement evidence-informed harm reduction strategies. 
Uh, and also Pill Testing Australia, which conducted its first pill testing trial at Groove in the Moo last year and will be doing so uh, a second time uh, in May, I believe, uh, are also one of the uh, projects of Harm Reduction Australia. So please head along to harmreductionaustralia.org.au. Uh, but right now on the line, we have um, from the NOFS Foundation, Australia, Australia's largest drug and alcohol treatment service provider for young people under 25, uh, Mr Matt Noffs, the co-founder of Street Universities and current CEO. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Now, Matt, last time we uh, actually ran into each other, I think, was uh, 2016 in, uh, uh, you reminded me, in, in, in Washington, D.C., at the Drug Policy Alliance Reform Conference. Um, so it's been a, been a few years. How's everything been going? It's good. I, I remember that conference. I was ducking in and out of uh, plenaries and workshops, and I was locking myself in a room to um, madly finish my first book for HarperCollins, Breaking the Ice. Yes. And uh, and uh, so I remember that, and I remember yeah, meeting you down there, and, and I think we talked about doing something on the show, yeah, all the way back then, 2016. We definitely did. We, we've had a few conversations since then, but, <laughs> we, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, exactly, how time flies, and a lot has happened. Uh, well, I guess yeah. sort of a lot has happened, but also a lot has stayed the same, and that's sort of part of the problem yeah. um, mm. that has created a lot of things to happen. And since then, you've written another book on top of Breaking the yeah. Ice as well. Um, maybe yeah. maybe let's start at your book. So Breaking the Ice... Uh, uh, so what is it about cannabis? Uh, <laughs> tell us. A, sorry, yeah. I'm being yeah, silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, the, so the first the first book was written in a in a you know mad dash uh, in in two months, and um, it was obviously about ice. It was about looking at the history of ice. The way you know ice was kind of synthesized over a hundred years ago um, by the Japanese and. You know, it's been used for the last hundred years, and and so really, the idea of breaking ice was one to talk about the current issue in Australia and our prediction of it fading, which it has since has since then, since 2016, and and hopefully will continue to do so as a as a as a drug used problematically, not as you know, not as a uh, as something we just kind of pretend would go away, but as a drug in which people find themselves in trouble with, you know. I think we'll continue to see that fade away if we can continue to see better implementation around harm reduction in Australia. But the other part of the book was really looking at the history of it and kind of saying to people, this isn't anything new. This is something synthesised by the Japanese and they were and kind of stolen in a way by the Nazis. Um, and then when a plane was shot down in England, the English found packs of these things called the Panda Chocolata, tank chocolates. And uh, which were little like um, meth tablets, and uh, they tested them on humans as well. And they called the US and they said, "You've got to get onto this stuff." So by the end of the world, by the end of World War Two, everyone uh, was using um, uh, methamphetamine, and uh, it was actually the Nazis who first saw the issues with it and kind of pulled it back. Of course, Hitler was using methamphetamine; he was getting a daily injection um, of meth uh, all up to a week before he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to kind of talk about that story. I actually, when I first brought that, even JFK was in, when I first brought this to the publisher, HarperCollins, um, they did not believe me, but they were also kind of were wary about kind of pushing this thing and 
you know, I wasn't really was this this an idea. And anyway, someone a year later, you know, comes out and you know brings out this book. You know, I think it was a um, what was a Nazi book? Nazis on drugs, uh, but yes. not buzz. Um, was, it, was it called? I can't remember what it was called, but I do, yeah. we've talked about it before. It's very famous. It's very famous now. Anyway, and the whole thing is about Blitz. all the drugs the Nazis were on, including ice. Was it Blitz? What's it called? Blitz. Blitz. That's yeah. the one. Blitz. Um, and uh, you know, so it's funny. So we, so so I'd kind of written about that. Um, people were skeptical, but there was there's actually a an Australian academic, Nick Rasmussen. He shares the first uh, name as you, and uh, he he um, he he is an academic at UNSW and a few other places, and and he he wrote a fantastic book on uh, I think it was called On Amphetamines. I can't I'm not sure if that's correct now, but but quite some time before that, so this has been talked about a lot. So so Breaking Ice was the first book, and then the second book, um, which came out last year, was called Addicted, and that was about a much broader conversation about how we conflate drug issues, not just in Australia, but globally, the origin of our, not just drug laws, but how we perceive drugs. So I was really trying to, that was a kind of in-depth look at, at addiction, different kinds of addiction, not just drugs, but it was also kind of, you know, after um, Chasing the Scream, Johan know, Hari's book, it was really about, um, saying, let's go, let's dig a little deeper here because Johan had written such a wonderful story. I was interested in then getting a little bit, like digging a little bit deeper into those different things. So one of the things I did was I went and uh, interviewed Bruce Alexander of Rat Park fame quite a lot and we talked about that. And But, but kind of I started to unpack his whole life, how he got to that place, but also how Rat Park was both kind of... Um, undermined by academia, which it continues to be. Uh, there are still people in our field who just go, "Oh yeah, 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 that's you know that's bullshit. That's a bullshit study." So I really kind of went back to that and said, "Why do you think people still say that?" You know, I mean, some people say it was never been replicated. And he said, "Well, that's just not true. It was replicated numerous times." And it's fair to say that out of the I don't know, you know, a half a dozen times or more that it was replicated, that. Um, uh, once or twice it did fail, but most of those times it, it, it succeeded uh, for different reasons. So, so what, what did really he say? Um, what did he say about uh, why he thought people were um, was so sceptical of of well, it? Well, I think I think because um, so they were sceptical when he first did it, obviously, and those reasons I think are quite obvious in terms of that that everything we'd known from Skinner's experiments before that the, the behavioralist really was about saying. Um, you know, when you put a rat in a cage, you can just expect that to be, you know, kind of replicated in humans, any of those behaviours. And then so when you gave a drug to a rat and it became addicted and it used that until it died, therefore, that's it. That, that's, that's what we've proven, that cocaine, you know, is addictive and you'll use it till you die um, because that's what a rat does. And so really all he wanted to do was refute that. And, of course, um, you know, that was... It sounds simple, but the establishment, so to speak, um, you know, and everyone, you know, the, the government had, had invested so much money in ads about how even cocaine, let alone heroin, will kill you and it's highly addictive and you only need to use it once. And, of course, you know, I'm not, all of your listeners will naturally understand all the other ph phenomena and the marketing behind that. 
um, and, and the history of the of prohibition. But but the point was was that when he refuted this notion that you use a drug once and, and therefore it is addictive and it, it's it's addictiveness alone is something um, that um, is problematic and, and so on. You know, refuting these ideas, um, you know, cost him um, at that first stage. But then when Johan um, kind of made it globally famous and made Bruce even more famous after Chasing the Scream came out, and now there's going to be a movie coming out about it, um, about Chasing the Scream, or Chasing the Scream, the movie. Um, you know, it, it's just a natural thing that we, you know, I, you know, we always say Australians have a tall poppy syndrome. I kind of think tall poppy is just a, na- is a natural thing that occurs in, in, in all fields where people kind of think someone's getting bigger than the boot. So, if you, so I'm kind of interested in that. And, you know, Bruce kept saying the only note, the whole point of Rat Park was just to refute the notion that you try a drug once and therefore it's addictive um, and, and, and you'll be addicted to that. And, and, you know, not the idea that you push further and, you know, you look at all the ideas behind that. In other words, you know, the connections. Yes, there's a, there are human experiments which have shown that too. We see it in our program all the time, you know, the idea that Johan talks about. But, it, but that's not what Bruce was trying to do. He was simply saying that he was doing you know, amongst uh, just a few things, like including questioning the ethics of a rat in a tiny cage. But actually the notion that you that we try drug once, whether it's heroin or vice or whatever it is, and therefore we're addicted to it because we tried it. And we just, we, you know, for me, the book, my book, Addicted, was really about going, let's explore that, let's tease it out. And it gave me, I start, when I started the book, I thought I really knew everything about addiction. And by the end, I realized that we're just getting our head around it now. And the more we get our head around it, the more we can kind of inform better policy decisions. So it's kind of one of those things where we all think, all your listeners will think, you, you think, I think. We're all like, oh, yeah, we get this. We know this. You know, I don't have a problem with drugs. I know someone else who does. You know, it's kind of simple, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's not. Um, you know, addiction, where the book lands, is actually about, you know, something that's a really important mechanism in our brains. It's part of our chemistry. It's part of why we're humans, why we're so adaptable. And we're not just addicted to drugs and computer games and porn and things like that. We're actually addicted to, to life, and it's a really important, positive, mostly positive function in our life and as uh, part of being a human. There's a, there's a, as you were describing that then and, and talking about Rat Park, uh, an experiment we're familiar with, but um, something sort of crossed my mind. Uh, the show before uh, in Psychedelia on 3CR is Freedom of Species and they talk about a lot of uh, animal rights and animal advocacy issues and um, animal testing being one of those. But this, this, um, this form of animal testing, the fact that people thought that we can lock a rat in a cage and it doesn't matter that they're in a cage to prove that the oh. Uh, effect of a drug is going to have an, a certain comparable effect on a human. The fact that people mm. were going, oh, that part doesn't matter. The the cage part doesn't matter. Maybe that mm. has. Maybe that plays back into because we know that um, the the question of consciousness in animals is is still wi- fairly wide open. I think um, there's been a lot of uh, progress made on that since uh, these experiments because a lot of them were conducted in the 1950s, the original um, uh, uh, drug rat cage experiments in the 1950s, 1960s. Um, 
So there's been a lot of lot of progress since then, but I think still there's um, something about it that really challenges some people. This idea that uh, uh, that even any animal can have any kind of a similar consciousness to us for some reason uh, is a challenge to people. I think it's probably steeped in our uh, uh, in, in sort of the Abrahamic religious traditions. I'm going off a little bit there, but um, I, I think that it's interesting because uh, when we're talking about Addiction. It is a it is a behavioural response, and a lot of the, the the sort of narrative, the popular narrative that goes around addiction, treats people who have an addiction as if they have no more autonomy, as if their free will has been hijacked, as if their ability to act as a free agent, as a conscious agent in the world has been possessed by an evil spirit, the drug or an evil, you know, possessing force and and has changed them into something else. This this sort of thing we hear. So, so, that, so that, that has its roots in the Calv... I mean, addiction as a, as a battle between good and evil um, started with the Calvinists, uh, you know, centuries ago. Um, and, and that's really the root of how we continue to pathologize addiction as, as an evil. And, and so for me, that was a big part of my book, um, was actually kind of understanding the, the, the genesis of how we pathologize people who are uh, uh, both use drugs but also addicted to drugs. Um, so, yeah, the Calvinists were the first to kind of, you know, fell upon this notion that, that um, yeah, when, when, you, when you're, you know, beholden to a substance or to an idea or to whatever it is, then you are kind of possessed in a way by uh, the devil. So, um, mm. and we, we see that continuing. And so really when we're, when we're challenging notions of drug use. We're really challenging a, a not just something that happened with, um, you know, the, in the US and the FBI 100 years ago, but actually something that happened centuries ago. And, and we see this evolution all the way from the Calvinists to, um, to the, 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 the medical fraternity pathologizing and taking those notions, lifting them from the Calvinist tradition uh, and uh, co-opting them into, you know, into today's rhetoric where we still see in the DSM in psychology a continuing, you know, pathology around people with these different kinds of addictions. And that's not to say that the DSM and how psychologists and how doctors look at addiction is unhelpful, of course. You know, um, we've learned a lot there too, but it is just, you know, it's really important to understand the foundation that how what addiction stands on. And the latest science teaches us that addiction, again, is not simply a negative, but it is akin to falling in love. When we fall in love with someone, we are becoming addicted to them, and this is something that arrived in mammals as a part of our evolution four million years ago. And when we fell in love with each other, we also started falling in love with other things. 
And the notion is, is that they're mostly, like, incredibly, like, like you know, I, I couldn't give a percentage, but I'm sure one day we'll kind of figure it out soon enough. But we know now that when we fall in love with someone, we're becoming addicted to it. So what's the difference between why is that healthy? But when we fall in love with a drug like ice, why is that unhealthy? And the, 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 this is a very simplistic way of explaining it, but where we kind of get to in the end of the book, and as I said, it's unfinished in a way because this research is still going on. What we're learning now is that, you know, here's the example, the analogy I use. You know, you will, when you fell in love, you know, those first couple of weeks when you met your partner, um, you sidelined other things. You probably, you know, you probably had to, you know, um, put work away for a little bit you probably wagged a little bit you know you you probably put some of your friends to the side and they started asking where you were and by the time you surfaced after this amazing romantic experience you got to tell them all the juicy parts about it you know and um but you got back to work and you got back to spending time with them or the ones who forgave you for kind of sidelining them for so long um and you got on with your life you were able to recalibrate. Why is it that when a person falls, you know, sometimes and not all the time, but why is it when someone falls in love with a drug like ice and they, you know, like when we start sleeping with someone, it's like, you know, you know, uh, every, every night and all the rest of it in the morning. Why is it some people will <laughs> continue to use ice, not just the night before, but in the next morning at lunchtime, the night again and mm. for breakfast, lunch and dinner and so on and so on and so on. Why can they find themselves, not just two weeks later, but a month later, two months later, still in that place and they have not recalibrated? Is it because they are weak? Is it because they are evil? All these other things going on? Well, there are numerous you know, reasons why someone can not recalibrate and why not only is it, they, not only can they become addicted or fall in love with a drug like ice, but they can actually have that same problem with a human being. Why is that the case? Why do you get away scot-free and can recalibrate after your brief addiction? And why does someone else not? And and what we find now is is that there's a number of different factors, but the main one that that keeps coming up time and time again is early... Uh, traumatic experiences or trauma mm-hmm. anywhere along the in, along the lifeline, but it's more often than not, when it when a person's really young and they're 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 then the second part is is a lack of support mechanisms around it. The four main ones being connection with family, connection with role models outside the family, connection with a sense that they are enjoying their education, and a sense of greater purpose. And for some people, that's God, and for other people, that might just be work that mm. they find that their purpose is in work. So, so, so we're starting, as I said, you know, we're starting to learn this. So, so we un- but, but before we start to get there, we have to kind of go, where did this start? We found it begin in the Calvinist tradition. Now, just before, like I like that tangent you went on before about consciousness because I read a book recently by Galen Strawson, who's a philosopher, and he, he's, he's written a book called Things That Bother Me. And it's about consciousness, amongst other things, death, freedom, consciousness, and so on, and um, whether things are determined in the universe or not. I love a really interesting book, and um, and I think consciousness is actually going to 
be an expanding field, excuse the pun, but I think it's going to be something that people, that we're going to hear more and more about consciousness in the years to come. And I think as we hear more and more about consciousness, we're going to actually be able to understand addiction more uh, and drugs more as well. But I'm after reading that book, I'm now signed up as a panpsychist. And <laughs> a panpsychist believes that, that there is consciousness in everything, not just in humans and animals, but in a rock. I believe that there's consciousness in the... Uh, you know, in the makeup of a car. So, um, you know, I, you know, it sounds strange. It sounds. But this is people. This is this is like this is even something that someone like Stephen Fry um, adheres to. So they're very smart people who are looking at this, and it, and it kind of sounds really left field to kind of throw that out there. Um, and we could do a whole. Um, interview just based on on panpsychism. See, and we won't, but yeah. if you're interested, no, no, I'm, go I'm and look up. Very, very much. I, I, that's sort of how I believe it as well. And I, I, I think the uh, the difficult part is that a lot of people have in their head an idea of what they think consciousness is, but they haven't really thought uh, long and hard about what that actually means and what it is. I don't. I, I mean, one thing that came up um, the other day, and this is again sticking on this tangent for a moment, but um, uh, somebody was uh, writing a, a Facebook post and pointing out. Uh, Oh, uh, you know, nobody really knows the you that you know inside of you, um, and everybody has a different version of you in their head. And I'm like, well, isn't that common sense though? But it's not common sense for a lot of people. A lot of people forget or, or don't think about the fact that you really are stuck inside of this body inside of your own brain and although there are um, massive things that you can do with it a human is a very impressive uh, biological mechanism we can do all sorts of things we built this radio studio the phone lines that are connecting us now and um, the ability to fly over to Washington DC and go to a conference together those are pretty incredible things but there are still huge limitations to what we do and a lot of what we do is um, abstract, abstract, abstract we abstract away from what's actually there in front of us but that requires all of our brain power and our brain has limited capacity to do things so when we're talking about consciousness we have to talk about the limitations as well as the um, expansions, uh, the extensions of what it can do but then you can start to do that for any system and that's all consciousness really seems to be, it's just a, an interactive system um, that's sort of contained within one um, thing. Um, but uh, this is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3CR.org.au. On the line, we have Matt Knopfs, the current CEO of the Knopfs Foundation. Um, and also, uh, Ash Blackwell is uh, joining us uh, as well. Ash, uh, good morning. Uh, good morning. Or, or good afternoon, I should say. Hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, Ash has been sitting in the background uh, and listening in as well, uh, Matt. And um, so we've been, yeah, talking a little bit about your your two books, um, Breaking the Ice and your latest book, Addicted. Uh, both books available through Angus and Robertson, and talking a bit about the history and the nature of addiction, um, w- which then plays into the nature of what is consciousness. You know, there's big questions um, around all, all of these sorts of things when we start to really um, probe these issues because we don't really have a good social understanding of addiction. We still treat it uh, largely, uh, as you were saying, um, it's sort of a moral issue, which is why it's it's, uh, picked up in the criminal sector. But what, what we're actually seeing is that those people that really struggle with addiction are those people... I mean, let's take a look at a recent example. The um, the uh, young young boys that were uh, uh, that were assaulted by 
Cardinal George Pell, or probably not a cardinal anymore, Mr George Pell, uh, who is now in jail, um, one of them uh, passed away from a heroin overdose. And the story of his life was that um, he was uh, doing quite fine up until the point at which he was assaulted um, by George Pell. And after that, um, he started seeking some relief for the pain that he now had in his whatever you want to call it maybe if the uh, if it's a catholic thing we'll call it his soul it was it was in his mind in his being um that that he couldn't get past this thing that had happened and eventually he died because of that addiction but it was because it was caused and driven by trauma Mm, that's right and i think that I think that, hey, Ash, welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> I great think, to see you on the show. I think, that, I think that's right. And, and I think the, here's the other thing we learned. So trauma kind of, I always say trauma plays a protagonist part in, in addiction, but it doesn't play the only part. It plays the, the, I think it plays the biggest part. In all the kids that we see, thousands and thousands of kids every year um, in our services from non-residential to residential treatment, you know, Trauma is like, yeah, is the protagonist kind of sitting behind their problematic addictions. But then it's not always the case. So it can be things like just growing up in, in poverty or the fact that mum and dad were using heavily as, as, as well. Um, and then, of course, there's mental health, uh, just alone, mental health by itself without anything kind of triggering. So just a na- naturally occurring um, mental illness. Um, you know, so there are a number of different kind of um, players in this that sits behind it. And even the way I'm describing it, again, it's simplistic, but it's our kind of the, our most latest, you know, the latest research and notions around this continue. And again, we find that even in how I'm describing it, there is that, you know, uh, pathological a way of having to fit people into boxes. And I think that in itself continues to be problematic. And I think that the, the, the better we get with drugs and drug policy over the next 10 years, um, I think we need to start finding our way outside of that. And, and of course, I, the way that I think of it is the only way out of the woods is through the woods. Um, so one of the greatest kind of aims of our take control campaign over the last year since we launched it at the press club last year and you know a- apart from talking about specific things like like pill testing um, is the idea of explaining in the media a narrative that unfolds so the country has a better understanding about drugs being that kids who go to use uh, I always say kids, so just you know, just excuse me how I do that. But you know, kids who turn up to festivals to use drugs, um, you know, uh, generally not, and we know this from so much research, generally not going to get into trouble um, in terms of having problematic addictions with their drugs or with, with other things. You know, normally tertiary educated, you know. You know, and, and, and normally don't have kind of a lot of those, you know, traumatic experiences, or even if they have had the traumatic experiences, have got a lot of support around them to move past those traumas. Where, whereas a young person in our service is, is, is a different cohort. So, in splitting that up, it's really important. I'm kind of talking 
and creating a narrative about it. But it's not without its own problems because even then I'm pathologizing uh, young people and doing that. But the only way out, the only way that I can see so far is the only way out is actually through the woods. And I think the, the, the thing that I'm so excited about is that when we started talking about pill testing four years ago, uh, you know, I wrote an op-ed in Sydney Morning Herald before I'd even kind of reached out to call the cop and you kind of formed the first gang. Um, uh, no one even knew what, you know, besides, you know, you two did, but the majority of the country didn't know what pill testing was. And now we have not only, you know, uh, you know, majority of Labor voters, a majority of, 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 I mean, like all Green voters, but like a majority of Liberal national voters who want to see pill testing. And so the Daily Telegraph the other day said, oh, you know, Berejiklian, you know, Berejiklian's win shows that, you know, people really kind of, that, that she won on the pill testing thing. Well, it doesn't show that at all. I mean, it, it, what it shows is that even though we have a majority of people who want to see pill testing in New South Wales, it, it, it wasn't an election issue. It, 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 you know, where transport um, and, you know, fixing things was. So that's really exciting. But coming back to this notion of addiction and thinking about it, um, you know, one of the most exciting things is, is we don't conflate these things as much anymore. That's got, that's got problems too. But, you know, I think there's a lot more we can do with that over the next kind of, yeah, the, the coming decade. Um, Matt, listening along before, I thought it was quite interesting the way you were talking about falling in love and um, mm. the analogy between falling in love with a person and falling in love with addiction. And it reminded me of um, a conversation we had when we had Mark Lewis on the show, um, where I spoke about this idea that about peer pressure. Um, I think that a lot of what we think about as peer pressure is actually peer bonding. Um, and I assume this might come up uh, what you see with people accessing your service, the, the first time that people might use a drug or use a new drug or use a drug in a different way is often with a partner or a close friend. So it's, it's a different kind of bonding that's happening where they're bonding with a person and the drug at the same time. People don't frequently use in isolation when they um, step into a new kind of drug use. Um, is that something that you've seen? Look, I think when we go back to the idea where I was talking about falling in love, is falling in love is uh, the way that I'm certainly interpreting the latest research is an addiction. So, um, and, fall, and when we fall in love with a drug like ice, that is an addiction too. So it's falling in love with a person or falling in love with, with that. Um, so you could say that when, you know, you spend time with people and you're spending time using drugs, you know, that, that might be something that one could become... Um, addicted to, you know, is peer pressure something that is positive or negative? You know, I think the idea is, is for you, if you were younger in school, a teenager, and you were introduced to um, smoking pot with, with some friends, and it's something you continue to do, and you don't see any negative consequences from that, then, then no, I don't think that's peer pressure. I think the only time when we can, we, you know, it's one of these things, now we can kind of say, well, what, what is peer pressure? And it's the idea that, 
you know, um, somehow some abuse occurred where someone forced you to do something in the same way that, um, no, not in the same way where, where, where someone might sexually abuse you, but as a kid, the idea that, you know, when people talk about that, I, I felt like there was peer pressure to do that. Well, you would assume that most of the, I mean, I was peer pressured when I was a teenager to do things. I think we all were. You know, what were the things that we continued to do and enjoy? What were the things that we, we continue to do? And, oh, sorry, what are the things that we don't enjoy so we, we, uh, we didn't continue them? And what are the things that we continued and that we don't enjoy? So the things that we normally continue and don't enjoy, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to say that peer pressure alone is going to, is going to cause a, a, a problematic addiction. You know, I, don't, I just don't, I don't think peer pressure alone in its negative form and let's just say that when, let's just, for, for the sake of this show, just today, say the peer pressure is only when an abuse has happened and, you know, your Frank, your, you know, 16-year-old friend said, smoke this joint or I'll punch you in the face. And so, therefore, you had to smoke the joint. And <laughs> Ten years later, you're still smoking joints and because Frank forced me to. Like, I just don't think that's the case. <laughs> I think if, if you continue to use it and problematically, I think something else deeper worse, more abusive than what Frank did to you occurred for you to do that if you're using it problematically. And I think if you're using it not problematically, I just, you know, I don't think peer pressure has any relevance there either. I think it's like you're spending time with your friends and you're enjoying it at a festival or whatever. That's just not peer pressure, is it? I mean, that's just enjoying something. Well, I, with your I kind of think of it as peer bonding, <laughs> you know, and, and that's yeah, what happens right. when that, we go out and drink coffee or go to the pub and have a beer with our friends. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think that's totally different to peer pressure. I kind of go, well, you know, peer pressure, I think, feels like has that kind of 80s, 90s vibe and the kind of same as kind of Nancy Reagan-esque kind of like just say no kind of stuff. It's just like it's just it's one of those things that I just don't even think is worth talking about. It's going to happen like bullying and, you know, as I guess, you know, I'm I'm older than you two. I've got little kids, I think about the kind of things they're probably going to be dealing with when they're in high school now, and it kind of feels weird because it's something I wouldn't really have contemplated 10 years ago, and now I'm kind of like, oh, with peer pressure, I just expect that that's going to happen, but I don't go, like, I'm not in that same mindset that my parents might have been, where it's like, oh, peer pressure, am I get into trouble? I certainly got into trouble because of peer pressure, but I also feel that if I can... And this goes for addiction. This is one of the things we learn in our treatment, in our centres as well. You don't focus on the drug problem. You don't, when you're trying to help someone, you're not focused on the drug problem. You're trying to help them build a resiliency so they can get on with their life and enjoy life outside of the drug. We don't even want them to necessarily stop using a drug if it's not going to be problematic for them. So one of the things I always say is if a kid comes in and they're using ice and smoking pot, but they leave and they're just smoking pot and they can get on with their life, whatever, like that, you know, I'm sorry, government, but as far as I'm concerned, we've done a pretty amazing job right there. Our job is not really about saying, let's stop using drugs because, you know, as you two know, as I know, you know, there are people working at like the highest, in the highest kind of 
you know, ranks of government and, and, and even police who use illicit substances all the time and getting, getting on with their life. So mm. it's really about how do I, how do I help them with their, with the trauma and being able to kind of move past that? How do I, how do they, how can they become more resilient? And, and, and enjoy life. Exactly. Um, we are speaking with Matt Knopfs, from, uh, the CEO of the Knopfs Foundation uh, right now. Uh, this is in Psychedelia on 3CR, 855 AM and 3cr.org.au and Ash Blackwell also here. Um, so we've been speaking a lot about uh, the nature of addiction and, and what, what we should be doing about it. So at the moment uh, the policy uh, pretty much across the country, it's a, it's a bit unclear, but the government policy although they support harm reduction initiatives, um, there is still prohibition and there are still uh, police that uh, seem to often try to lead the drug policy debate without any expertise and they don't seek expertise a lot of the time either, um, who, who believe, who sort of equate use with abuse and believe that any use is addiction and believe that the only solution is absolute abstinence and it's just never going to happen. This is this is a false goal. It's, it's used... Um, to, to then uh, trump up uh, uh, police budgets because then, I mean, it's an endless thing. It's kind of like the war on, on terror. How can you ever stop um, people from being upset with another group of people um, to such a point that they want to... Uh, it's just... It's, it's, so, it's, it's such a nebulous concept. It just goes on forever and ever and ever. And I think that's sort of the trick of it. And it's very frustrating. We've got some battles that are that are, are, are steeped in this at the moment. The reason why we don't have pill testing, a relatively simple, relatively... Uh, I mean, look, the reality of it is it's going to be relatively low impact as well. Things are still going to happen because we can't reach... We can't control the entire black market. This is just one little thing that could possibly change the information flow in the black market so that consumers are more likely to know a little bit better information um, on, on what it is that they're about to put in their body that they would have put in their body anyway. They were going to put it in their body anyway. Now they know. Now they're talking to somebody who's a professional about it. But governments are standing against it because they're like, oh, oh no, we don't want to encourage well, drug use. Uh, you know, one of the funny things, um, Nick, is that I think that we can also play that, you know, in terms of a nebulous argument, I actually think there's a significant amount of police out there who want to see change. Um, in, even in New South Wales, um, the word is, you know, behind the scenes that they want to do things, but they're feeling um, hamstrung. And I work with the former police commissioner, Mick Palmer, um, you know, who is a massive advocate of ending prohibition and, and starting um, a new way with, with drugs. Um, and, and one of the greatest lessons for me is, is we can play the same game as police when we kind of say all police are like this. So I'm really, these days, especially after doing the first pill testing pilot in the ACT with every single police uh, officer being incredibly supportive and even showing the kids the way to the pill testing tent, um, it changed the nature of police when I realised that they weren't actually just the just the kind of um, uh, the enforcers of prohibition. A lot of them feel really hamstrung, and I think that you know the place for them post prohibition is the idea that that you know when you are abused or assaulted by someone, you want them to deal with it. You absolutely need them. We don't want to decriminalise assault, 
we want assault to stand there and just not be conflated with drug use. So when someone gets taken to court because they're, you know, addicted to ice and they've hit someone, they're not charged for the anything related to the drug. They're charged for the moment that they hit someone in the face. Mm. And, and, I, and I think that police play a really important part there for us. So I think we've got to be careful because a lot of police really want to change. They also are afraid of speaking up, so we've got to give them every opportunity to do that. And I think we've got to be careful not to other them. The second part is with pill testing. Pill testing, you're right, it's one option in a plethora of different things we should be doing. But make no mistake, the way that I have been building this for the last four years is that it is a narrative which changes the national conversation from one of um, when kids go to festivals, the only way to deal with it is to have the gauntlet of police there and drug dogs and so on, to one where, no, that's not the way. And so for me, the turning point of making, you know, the conversation about reform changes, I stopped using terms like drug law reform. You know, I'd kind of spent so many years with Alex Wodak and, you know, doing that, and I kind of realised we've got to stop talking about drug law reform and in the same way that gay marriage just wasn't getting, uh, you know, traction amongst Australians. When they turned the, the phrase into marriage equality is when, you know, really when, when, when they... Um, when they hit the road running. And so um, for the same reason, you know, we stopped talking about law reform, we started talking about taking control. You know, pill testing is kind of the, the surface thing there where it is, as you say, one, just one tactic, but the mother of, those, of that tactic and many others, including an early warning system at festivals and others, you know, the mother, the strategy above that is really about making the conversation safer for Australians. And for the, me, the moment when I felt like we'd really, um, you know, made a difference was when Koshi on Sunrise said to Berejiklian, you know, a few months back, he said, you know, didn't you take drugs when you were a kid? That, for me, was the moment when suddenly the door opened up and people's the blind spot that I feel like most Australians have when they talk about drugs, it's just like, oh, I just don't like my kid using drugs and stuff. Or when was the last time you used ecstasy? A couple of years ago. It's kind of like, <laughs> what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, what is that? It's a complete blind spot where people just go, you know, their own drug, their own drug use was never a problem, all the rest of it, you know, but kids these days, they're bad. Well, no. The youngest generation of Australians today use less drugs than any previous generation. They use less ecstasy. They drink so much less. They smoke less, you know. And so we're going to continue to do that. But for me, pill testing isn't just about pill testing. It's about changing the conversation. It's about those Q&A episodes. It's about David Koch. It's about, you know, Barry Jickley and kind of digging her heels in. And she helps us too. And, and if she listens to this, you know, we'll just... You know, I don't know, do whatever you want with it. But, you know, she helps us too when she digs her heels in and continues to say, just say no, because a majority of Australians go, that's bullshit, and I don't believe it anymore. Mm. And that is the thing where, you know, your, your radio show, this show will become even more popular when people go, well, I've got nowhere else to kind of find this information. Where can I find truthful information about 
drugs and, and that's changing. But, you know, for me it was, you know, the same thing of like gay marriage to, to marriage equality. We had to stop as a field and as activists and go, what are we doing? Because running at the wall saying, we want reform, we want reform, wasn't cutting it anymore. So I think it's really important that we do a couple of things. One of those is we don't treat police in the same way that, that, that they've often treated us. Uh, and actually realise that they're not just this homogenous blob. Um, and the other thing, too, is, is realise that pill testing is actually, um, is actually something that, that, that is an overall strategy about changing the national conversation. Yes, uh, th- that's very that, wise um, words. Gosh. Sorry, you go, Nick. I was going to say. Well, I, actually, we don't have too much time left because we're, um, we're we're running out of time. So maybe um, uh, some some last questions. It's really um, interesting what you're saying, Matt. And I think uh, we'll we'll definitely have to um, be catching up more in the future. You've given me some reading as well. That Galen Strawson things that bother me, yeah. death, freedom, the self, etc. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> to have a look for that one. Yeah. Um, but Ash. Yeah, well, I think that you're absolutely spot on about pill testing and um, it, its bigger impacts. Just the debate about it has been changing the national conversation. And, um, you know, again, with the stuff about police, I think it was really telling on that Q&A episode when you had a senior New South Wales police officer when um, when asked about, I think it was about drug decriminalisation, um, he, he just sort of straightforward said, well, we'd be able to solve more homicides. Um, And so I think that, um, you know, I've heard similar things about New South Wales and that there isn't uh, a a broad agreement within the New South Wales police force about going hard Mm. on the war on drugs. Um, Like I know that in New South Wales, a lot of people in the drug law reform kind of activist movement were hoping that the Labor government might get in because they'd pledged to hold this drug summit and that might have been a possibility to really shift shift gears a little bit there. So I'm wondering, you are in New South Wales. We, we've had the Berejiklian government returned. What do you think are the um, possibilities now for for getting some significant reform for taking um, control in New South Wales? <laughs> well, I think, um, I think that New South Wales will be the last cab off the rank when it comes to pill testing. I think um, that they will get a lot harsher before they get a lot easier and kind of more open-minded. Um, and um, and I think that's going to be a very positive thing because I think the rest of the country is going to be like, well, we don't want to be like them. I mean, they're having... And we, we just had the most lethal summer on record. We warned her. We warned her before summer came along. We said, you will have a terrible summer unless you do something now. And uh, she didn't. And she had the most lethal summer on her watch five young people gone in New South Wales in less than five months. And yet, when Christchurch happened, everyone was like, look at all these deaths. We just lost five young people in less than five months. And the response was, say no to drugs. Mm. And a majority of people, including our own voters, think that's a farce. So I think it's going to be very helpful for us over the next four years um, at a national level, but in other states as well. I think we're going to see um, already Queensland and Tasmania are moving to for, for pill testing. Again, it's going to get us to change the conversation, but also then finally policy. So I think we're going to have a really exciting decade um, in the next decade um, uh, with, with changing policies. And I think harm reduction is just the beginning. I think we're going to 
we need to be doing, you know, more kind of uh, conversations, looking at, at, at addiction, um, drugs overall, consciousness. Um, and that's what drugs are, aren't they? I mean, really, they're about changing our consciousness, whether we're doing it to soothe ourselves or whether we're doing it for fun, you know, whether we're doing it to escape, whether we're doing it to dig deeper. It's about altering our consciousness. So I think, you know, the work of Strawson and those others is really important because we just don't know enough about consciousness. So I think there's a lot of stuff to learn from, from that as well. And um, But no, I think that New South Wales is actually going to be um, uh, the last cab off the rank, but I think it's going to be very helpful. Um, and I, um, in a way, strangely hope that the, the Premier continues her kind of her, her, her communication line that she refuses to accept the pill testing um, will uh, do anything to reduce harm. Um, that, you know, she continues to say, say no to drugs. Because I did um, Steve Price's show last night uh, and the whole conversation (laughs) was incredibly positive. It was all like, yep, well, you know, that hasn't worked anymore and there are people who use heroin and get on with their lives and people who use ice to get on with their lives. With Steve Price, yeah. (laughs) It's going to be continuing to, to, to make that notion of say no to drugs just look really, really really silly and that's going to be very helpful so so let's hope there's that kind of um resistance there because because uh you know that that that's that 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 can be helpful for for narratives as well it's true it's a it's sort of a a dark side of the truth of these things but i I think you're right and i think it is something that we are going to need to uh, get on top of because it's not just about the drugs as you say it's about a wider issue about consciousness and i think that question over consciousness is one that we as a as a species are going to have to grapple pretty quickly because if we start i mean we're fiddling around at the edges with making our own now through artificial intelligence and if we don't get a good grasp on what our own consciousness is then the technologies are going to start to uh, eat us alive, basically. But, Matt, we will have to leave it there. We're out of time. We could talk for much longer. We'll have to have you on again um, in the future. Matt, thank you very much for joining us on In Psychedelia. Thanks for having me, and I'm I'm sorry it took us four years or something to get to, so (laughs) so thanks for having me. No, thank you very much. That is Matt Knopfs. He is the uh, co-founder of Street Universities and CEO of the Knopfs Foundation. If you want to find out more about the Knopfs Foundation, you can head to their website, Knopfs, that's N-O-F-F, s.org.au. He's also the author of uh, Breaking the Ice and Addicted, both available uh, through Angus and Robertson and you know other bookstores. I'm sure you can go and find it. This is In Psychedelia. On 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au. Just about out of time for this Sunday afternoon. Um, if you want to hear anything... Uh, if you want to know anything more about what you heard on the episode, please head to 3cr.org.au, follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page, find our social media, find our website, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, the podcast is being regularly updated now. Uh, all of 2019 is up there, guaranteed. Uh, and there's a little bit of extra information on the website as well. Encyclopedia.org is the place to go. Uh, up next is Queering the Air. Please enjoy your Sunday afternoon. I'm going to bed. This is In Psychedelia. 
Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.